Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to look primarily at one verse. I I could not have picked, uh, and I do not pick the special music, but I could not have picked a better song to preface this morning's message uh, than the one that was uh, chosen and uh, the the idea of receiving a gift. Of course, this is the Christmas season. Next Sunday is Christmas Sunday. And uh, how many of you are expecting to receive something for Christmas? Let's be honest now. I mean, uh, we... We like the idea of getting things, do we not? Uh, Someone says, not me, I I just, I'm not interested in the presents at at, at all at Christmas time. That's either because you've been a bad boy and not going to get any, uh, or you've been really bad and nobody likes you, uh, but, or you're just plain being dishonest. we, we like to receive things. And if we were really honest and true, we, we like to give things. You know, God gives parents the opportunity to give to their children all the things you didn't get when you were a kid, right? Uh, no, uh, don't, uh, most of us have grown enough to know that there was a good reason our parents didn't give us the things we wanted when we were younger. Amen. Would somebody agree with me there? Uh, that there is some wisdom there. But, of course, the whole purpose in the giving and receiving of gifts is an imitation or a reflection of what God did as He gave us Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. And, of course, we know that Jesus was not born on December 25th. That that is just a tradition of mankind. But, again, there's no reason why you can't enjoy the Christmas holidays. Amen? And why we can't take advantage of even the world stopping and uh, as as I love to say, there is just no better opportunity to uh, kindly and with the love of Christ stick your finger in the atheist eye. Amen? And ACLU and all of those people that hate everything about the Bible. Uh, someone says, season greetings. Oh, Merry Christmas! You know, and... and uh, Listen, and don't take Christ out of it. Don't go marry Xmas. Don't ever do that. If you want to take anything out, get rid of the Mass on the end. Uh, but don't skip on Christ. Amen? And as we look at this verse, Jesus came to earth for one purpose. was to save mankind. That is the greatest gift that was ever given. And you cannot do anything to be worthy of that gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay God back for it. All you can do is receive it. And here's what the Bible says in verse 25. And this is kind of our uh, jumping off point into the Scripture. Our diving board, we might say, into the great pool of the knowledge of God as recorded in His Word. Verse 27, talking about Jesus Christ, 
who needeth not daily as those high priests, talking about the Levites in the Old Testament, to offer up... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse here. Verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Wherefore, verse 25, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. They come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I'd like to try to preach this morning on the uttermost salvation. Uh, years ago, the first rescue mission in the United States, the first real outreach to people who were down and out was originally called the Jerry McCauley Mission. Jerry McCauley was a um, repeated felon, had spent much time in Sing Sing and had gotten saved while he was a prisoner, I believe, and battled back and forth and finally... uh, when he was released, was able to get some funding from businessmen in the city and open what, is, uh, what was originally called the Jerry McCauley Mission. Now it's the New York City Rescue Mission. And it is still in operation uh, all of these years and uh, reaching out and trying to help people that have no other place to go. And, uh, of course... Jerry McCauley would tell his testimony and he would take this verse and he would use it in this fashion. He would say, I was saved from the guttermost uh, to the uttermost, talking about the sin and, and the depraved and wicked lifestyle that he had led because of alcohol and all of those other things that were in his life. But really that's While that is so very true, that's not what this verse is referring to. This verse is referring to the fact that when Jesus saves you, He saves you to the uttermost. He saves every portion of your life. In fact, He saves you in every way that you can be saved. And Jesus was born for a purpose. He was born to fulfill God's will. He was born to be the greatest and most complete revelation of God to the human race. He was born to save us. Amen? And so as we go through the Scriptures, I want to you to understand that God is able to save you to the uttermost. Meaning that He has never lost a soul. I'll tell you what, there's not a one of us that hasn't lost a battle with the devil because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us that hasn't striven and given our life effort in every bit we are to something, to some achievement, and we've lost. But Jesus never has. And we need to be reminded 
of all of the things that Jesus is to us, all of the positions that He fills in our salvation, all of the, the different aspects, if, if we might look at it this way. Uh, how many of you have ever been in a jewelry shop and, or um, actually a museum and seen one of those great big diamonds there, the ones that are bigger than your thumb? Uh, uh, whenever I think of diamonds, I actually think of years ago when I was just a teenager, we was in Washington, D.C., and uh, that was the first time I'd seen the Hope Diamond. The Hope Diamond is the world's largest blue diamond. Uh, a man was walking into, a worker was walking into a coal mine in South Africa, and he looked up into the ceiling, saw a glint up there, thought it was a piece of glass, and that's how the Hope Diamond was discovered. And, of course, uh, diamonds in the rough, they aren't all that much to look at. But when it's been cut and faceted and brought out and then displayed with the right type of lights and all of that, it is, it is just dazzling to the human eye, is it not? And we, we ought to treat our salvation and turn the diamond and look at the different facets and the, and the way that God's light is reflected to us in our salvation. Of course, you can't have salvation without a Savior. Amen? Was that not the angel's message to the shepherds outside Bethlehem as they were watching the flocks? And it says... For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. As, Je as Joseph was contemplating and thinking about all of the things that had transpired and what to do about the situation with Mary, an angel showed up to him in a dream and begin to instruct him and said, the child that Mary is carrying is not a product of sin, it's a product of God. And, and that child is different than all children that have ever been born. And you don't need to be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because that little boy is going to be a Savior. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. You know, we could spend a lot of time on this position, on this fulfillment, on, on this person of Savior that Jesus is. But something needs to be said. There's a lot of people that don't want saving. There's been more than one occasion where someone has intervened in another person's life to save them, only to be cursed at and railed on. I was trying to end my life, and you stopped me. Well, I think we ought to. Amen? Uh, I don't believe in suicide. I don't believe that it's good. But there are many, many people who refuse the Savior. If you're going to be saved, you first must understand that you're in need of being saved. How many young people 
in their own mind, in their own thought. I don't need you to help me. I don't need it. I'll take care of myself. And in very short order are enslaved in sin and bondage and have habits and things that only God's grace can break. I remember seeing an ad recently. I, I was somewhere uh, where the TV was on and I was just, and it was uh, the governor of New Jersey and advertising his drug addiction program and how that it helped people. And I'm for that. But I'll, I'll tell you, AA and, and uh, GA and NA and, and all of those rehabilitation programs, they can only do so much. But God can save you from your sins. Can we say amen to that? Can we... Can we enjoin praise to the Savior? It was Peter's message in Acts chapter 5. He talked about the reign of David and how that God had removed Saul and put a man after his own heart. And in Acts 5.31, he said, Him hath God exalted with the right hand. He is a prince and a Savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Do you remember as Jesus was beginning His earthly ministry in in the very uh, early months of that ministry, He was in a house and they brought to Him a man that was crippled with palsy. And when they couldn't get through the door, the, the men went up on the roof and you could imagine this crowded house and and the, the uh, closeness that develops in a in a place where there's not a lot of ventilation, but there's a lot of people. That's not always pleasant. And they couldn't get in. And Jesus was teaching, and people were listening even out around through the windows and the doors of the house. And the dust began falling from the ceiling. And people backed up a little bit, and before long there was sunlight coming through the roof of the house. Not supposed to do that. Uh, And they lowered this man on a cot through a hole that they had put in the roof right before Jesus as he was standing there. And what was Jesus' first response? It said he saw their faith. Whose faith did he see? The men that brought him. And he said to the man that was laying on the bed, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Why did Jesus address that problem first? Because that's the real problem. It wasn't the fact that he was a cripple all his life. He couldn't work, couldn't take care of his family. Uh, none of the, the, that was not the big problem. The big problem was this man was a sinner before God and needed a Savior. Amen? And Jesus healed him. But what was the Pharisees' response? Who and forgive sins, but God! And you know what? They were exactly right. Were they not? Only God can forgive sins. Only God can save you from your sins. You can do all the good you want, but it won't take away one sin. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger to be a Savior. Let me ask you a question. Is he your Savior today? Would you say amen if he is? And if he is not, you can make him that Savior. He is willing to be your Savior. The Bible tells us that not only is he the Savior, he is the sacrifice. Let's, If you're still there in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, just turn the page or so. It's only one page in my Bible to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. It says here, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, this was the work of Jesus. Not only is He the Savior, He is the sacrifice. He is the only sacrifice that God could accept for sins. We often quote the verse, for the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages, something you earn, something that would be breaking the law, something that would be dishonest not to give you. If your employer were to withhold your wages, is that not thievery? And if God were to withhold the eternal judgment and punishment of hell, he would be dishonest and he would be unjust. Except there was a Savior who was willing to be The sacrifice. We went through Isaiah 53 just a little while ago. It pleased him. It pleased God to bruise him. Not because God is some kind of vindictive uh, uh, God who is pleased with blood and torture and pain and suffering. There are gods like that in this world. And people worship them on a regular basis. That's not the God of the Bible. It pleased God that Jesus should suffer because God knew that none of us could. Amen? That's a different word. That's called love, is it not? Jesus endured that suffering for us. Let's look it down to verse um, 24 of the same chapter, if you're still there in Hebrews chapter 9, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often had suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once... In the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, Jesus is the Savior. He is the sacrifice. But even more importantly than that, he is the priest, the high priest. 
See, many religions, even to this day, still have priests. And in the jungles and and the uh, animist religions, they have the shamans and the witch doctors and all of these people. These, and uh, uh, if you want to go to New York City, we have mediums and uh, we have tarot card readers and all of these people claim to stand between you, a mere mortal, and eternity. That, that's what a priest is. People often, are, are, are you a priest? Do you have priests in the Baptist church? And my first response is to tell them, yes, we do. We have more priests in the Baptist church than any religion known to mankind. In fact, you cannot be a member of our church until you've reached priesthood first. But that would be confusing to some people. And so I, I, I don't go there. Usually I tell them, no, we only have one priest in the Baptist church, and that's Jesus Christ. One high priest. One who stands between us and God. For there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Amen. He is... The Savior. The reason He's the Savior is because He is the sacrifice. But even a sacrifice all by itself is not accepted unless it's offered by a priest who has authority to offer it. I love the book of Hebrews. In fact, I thought about calling this sermon the... uh, uh, Christmas in Hebrews, but uh, as we will spend much to much of our time, but not all of our time. So that title really didn't fit, but there's still the entire truth here is, uh, let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 6, if you're still there. We're going to look at a lot of scripture here, but in, in the book of Hebrews, you're going to find the mentions uh, many times. In fact, more in the book of Hebrews than anywhere else in the Bible. You have this man named Melchizedek. And uh, I'll tell you, there's an awful lot of things that we don't know about Melchizedek. But if you look him up in the commentary, somebody will tell you things. And uh, it's kind of like Santa Claus. Uh, everybody knows something, but that doesn't mean it's true, does it? Uh, people will tell you all kinds of things about Melchizedek. The simplest thing that we can understand is that Melchizedek was a human being. We meet him in the book of Genesis. But he was a total and complete representation of Jesus Christ. He had a priesthood that was not connected through Levi to the temple or the tabernacle before it. Melchizedek had direct access to God. And Jesus was ordained a priest, not after the priesthood of Levi, because then he would be bound to only offer those sacrifices that were in the law. But as a priest, after the order of Melchizedek, He had direct access to offer an eternal sacrifice that would pay the price of all men's sins forever. Probably our simplest example that I could give for modern day 
is we do not have, uh, uh, though religious has priests, what we have is lawyers. Do you know you can be absolutely right, absolutely innocent, absolutely without guilt or charge of any kind, but if somebody brings you up before a court, you don't have the right to say a thing. In fact, you can get yourself in so much trouble for not knowing how to behave, for not having the right to file the papers, for not having the authority to speak before the judge. You, you need Lawyers are a necessary thing. Who has the right to argue in the court of Almighty God? Who's been admitted to that bar? Well, there's only one name on the list, my friend. No one else is heard. You can stand in your own defense if you will. But you know what you're going to hear? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. That's the only judgment you can accept unless you have a priest to intercede for you. He has right. And he has authority because not only is he admitted to speak in the presence of God, he is God. And so he joined the human race he was born of the virgin, and, and uh, verse 20 of chapter 6 tells us, Whither the forerunner is ent- for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. I'd like you to turn over to chapter 10. And we're going to start reading in verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever. Them that are sanctified. Isn't that an incredible statement there? You see, He is our Savior. He is our sacrifice. But He is our priest. He has the authority. And He, through the eternal Spirit of God offered Himself to God to pay the price for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the world. Aren't you glad that God is not a Calvinist? Amen. Uh, Aren't you glad that God is not bound by the thought processes of man? He offers an eternal sacrifice to whosoever will. But I would like you to turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 2. And if you ever get past this, if this ever, you can just read this verse and not stop 
and go, wow. Uh, I'll tell you, you you just need to get on your knees and ask God, what is what is wrong with me? What what's going on in my heart that this this thought does not arrest my attention? Verse eleven of chapter two says, "For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare." Thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Jesus is the Savior. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest that offered it. But after that offering has been made and that work has been completed, the Bible says, if you will believe on Him, He's not ashamed. He is not ashamed to call us brethren. Sometimes people will ask the question, uh, uh, we, got, we got a visiting preacher. Do I call him mister? Well, calling a preacher mister is not really the best, uh, the most proper way to address them. Uh, uh, and... If they're not the pastor of the church, then that title doesn't fit. But I'll tell you one that always works. Brother. Brother Clayton. Brother Thompson. You can call him Brother Sam. He, he prefers that title. When Brother Davison is around, he prefers that title to anything. You see, there's a reason we use that term, Brother. It's because Jesus has put his arm around us and said, we're family now. I've adopted you into my family. Now, tell you what, I've never had a big brother because I'm the oldest in my family. And as a big brother, there have been times, praise God, once you grow up, this kind of stops. But uh, uh, my my youngest brother was very small for his age, and we found out later it was because of a spinal problem, and and uh, that took uh, care of most of that. But when when he was in the third grade, he was actually the size of the average kindergartner, and he had bright red hair to beautiful red hair. Got it from my mother. And, and uh, the uh, kids like to pick on Mike. And so I got instructions from my father. You don't let anybody pick on your little brother. Because if you do, I'm going to pick on you when you get home. Well, as a big brother, that was part of my job. And uh, uh, may I say that in the flesh I enjoyed that quite a lot. Uh, the art of intimidation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I was never a bully because I never bothered anybody until they bothered my little brother first. And, and then I had another brother that was very much like me, and the two of us together could put the fear of something in most people in very short. Or it was our job to protect our younger brother. 
Do you think Jesus doesn't want to fulfill that job? Do you think that's not what the writer of Hebrews is alluding to here? I mean, there's a lot of people that want to pick on us and bully us as Christians and People think that Christians are the weakest and, and, and the most inept people on earth and we hide behind Jesus because we have nothing else going for us. And that's not true. But I'll tell you what, there are many times when only my big brother Jesus can stand up for me. And it's kind of nice as a man not having to play the big brother because I have one. Amen? I've met many people struggling and they'll say, well, well, how, how do you fight the devil? Well, it's very easy. Hide behind your brother. First, you've got to be saved. But if you really want to get victory over the devil, you're not going to get that by fighting him yourself. I like to put it this way. Don't ever get in a chess game with the devil. You will always lose. Oh, he is the master player. He, he will put things in a position where it looks like you're going to win and he will give you every advantage there is only to destroy you at the last moment. Don't try to involve yourself in the mind games of this world. Hide behind your brother. That is who he is. You see, there were times when my little brother would do things knowing Father's instruction. And he would instigate things with certain people because he knew... He was safe. How many of you have ever done that to the Lord? Why is it so quiet in here? Let's not do that to our Savior. He is there. He is not ashamed to call us His brethren. He wants us to glorify Him in the church. That's what the next verse said. That's, that's why we pick the songs that we pick. And that's why Andrew's up here working so hard. I mean, waving those arms everywhere. And, and, and I appreciate the extra effort that we're having here to have both the piano and the organ play. And, and it makes a difference. We want to honor Him for what He has done for us. We want to treat him with the respect that is due his name because he is our Savior. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest that offered it. But amazingly, he wants to put his arm around me and say, this is my little brother. That is a thought that ought to arrest your attention, that ought to make you stop. You see, that's why He can save us to the uttermost. 
because He is our Savior. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest. He is our brother. But it doesn't stop there. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. And just an aside here, there are people that like to try to say that uh, Jesus, that Peter was the first pope and the head of the church and all of those things. But uh, I'd like you to read carefully verse 14 of Matthew chapter 8. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his, Peter's wife's mother. That kind of precludes him being a pope, doesn't it? Uh, Peter's wife's mother laid and sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities... And bear our sicknesses. The note in my Bible takes me back to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. You see, Jesus, Savior, sacrifice, priest, brother, but he is also our physician. We sing that song, the great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. Now, that does not mean that you'll never be sick. But what it does mean is when I do face physical issues, where do I go first? To Jesus. Amen? Listen, if I have to have surgery, and I have had to have surgery on a couple of occasions in my life, the thing that I tried to do as much as in me was or much as my ability had, I wanted to find a good surgeon. Uh, because God cannot use someone that doesn't know what they're doing. Amen? But the second thing is, I'm going to pray for that guy. And, and, and I'm going to get everybody that I can to pray for that guy while he's cutting on me. How about you? Uh, doesn't that sound like a good biblical plan? You see, that's what James chapter 5 is talking about. It's not talking about the preacher pouring oil on your head necessarily just... Uh, for the sake that it has some spiritual efficaciousness or grace imparted to you, olive oil is still one of the greatest medications known to mankind, if you'll use it. Uh, for it's, It will help your digestive issues. It will help uh, solve ear uh, infections and does often better than the, the, the best drugs that we have in our modern day. Don't be afraid of medicine. But seek the great physician first. Amen? Because this is who he is. This is what it means when he says, save to the uttermost. There's not a part of your life. There's not a thing that you will face that he cannot take care of it. Amen? But Jesus was not born to be the babe in Bethlehem's manger alone, was he? 
He was born because that was the program that God had for him to enter the human race, to become one of us, that when he calls us his brethren, he is speaking the truth. There oftentimes we'll recognize other people. And uh, I remember when I was traveling with Brother Clayton on more than one occasion, somebody say, is this your son? And, and he'd say, yeah. But, and, and that meant a lot to me because my dad had passed away as a teenager, but I knew it wasn't really true, and he knew it wasn't really true, but we, we had that relationship. And sometimes we'll get that close, but when Jesus says he calls us brethren, He's speaking the truth because he walked in human flesh. And he is the great physician. He will take our infirmities. He has been tempted in every point as we are and yet without sin. But that was not the greatest purpose that Jesus was realizing. You see, he came to be the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords. How many times? In fact, even in your Bible, I think it's in the book of Esther, one of the Persian kings addresses the letter, so, Atraxerxes, king of kings. Well, that was true in a certain sense of the word. He was the dictator of the then known world, the Persian Empire. Uh, stretched its tentacles from east to west. And really, he was a king of many kings, but he was not the king of kings, period. That title only belongs to one. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's get this verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you would. Verse 15, talking about Jesus Christ, which in his time shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. And all God's people said... That, that word pope comes from the word potentate. It, it means a, a, a complete and absolute ruler. And I tell you that no man has the right to hold that title or claim it to himself. Only Jesus Christ. He will come. And he will set up his kingdom. If you read Revelation chapter 20, that he will rule and reign for a thousand years. And how, how many people have stood in that place and said, I will set up my kingdom. It was Adolf Hitler that said his third Reich would last a thousand years. It was Napoleon that said, I will be Nostradamus' star and I will rule the nations and I will bring peace. 
maybe slavery, death, destruction. Uh, when the French people were done with Bonaparte, what did they do? They brought the king back. The one they had gotten rid of. The one they thought that they needed to be free from. They went and found one of his descendants and put him back on the throne. Uh, no. You see, there's only one king of kings. The world is going to make war with the Lamb. We call that the battle of Armageddon. The armies of this world are going to assemble to do their own thing and Jesus will appear. And there will be a peace treaty between all the armies of the world as they unite to try to destroy the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he will not fight them with the weapons known to man. He'll fight them with the sword that goes out of his mouth. He will speak the word. And all of the power of man will be brought to nothing. And he will set up his kingdom. And here's what it says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Romans 5, I mean, Revelation 5.10 says, And hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 26, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first, first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Boy, we live in a messed up world, do we not? And every time it seems like it can't get any more messed up, it just gets more messed up. I mean, who would imagine? Who would have imagined the domino effect of one filthy, degenerate Hollywood director reaching throughout the entire realm of Hollywood and radio and now through the Senate and the House of Representatives and uh, almost every race and, uh, that is going on, this immorality has been brought up and, and anyone wishing to speak anything to truth at all is demeaned and lied about. And wow, we, we live in a messed up world. But can I ask you a question? How messed up is this world going to be when Jesus sits upon the throne of David? Can I tell you what the crime rate is going to be? It's going to be zero percent. If Mayor de Blasio would only get saved and realize that his zero vision is what Jesus is going to do when he sits on the throne. Amen? Uh, things he might even get a little closer than he ever will. But uh, don't hold your breath. Just pray for the man. Amen? And here's what we need to understand. Jesus is the sovereign. But let me tell you something. Let's go back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> 
talking about Abraham and others that followed in his footsteps. Let's look at verse 16. But now they desire a better country, excuse me, that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared them a city. One more verse. Revelation chapter 21, all the way to the back. The next to last chapter in your Bible. And this is talking about the end of all things, the beginning of eternity future. And verse 7, it says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Back to our theme verse. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, to come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. God did not just save you to be saved. He saved you to live for Him. He is your Savior. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest that offered that sacrifice. Yet He wishes to be identified as our brother. He wants to bring us into the very family of God. He is the physician. There is no part of your life that He will not be able to uh, intervene and to heal and to do what only God can do. But He came to be the sovereign. He came to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet, He will be your God. And that answers all the questions, does it not? You see, when he talks about saving us to the uttermost, he's talking about everything that you can be, everything you was, everything that has ever happened to you is under his jurisdiction. Why do you think Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. How many religions have tried to build that kingdom on this earth? And what have they done? Uh, we have a building over here on the East River called the United Nations, and they're trying to bring peace on earth. And they're even so blasphemous when they built the building. They, had a, uh, they have a monument out there of a man with a sword turning it into a plowshare. That's a prophecy of what will happen when Jesus sits upon the throne. Study the history of the United Nations. It's one of the bloodiest and most evil that has ever been brought on this on mankind by other mankind. You must surrender your authority to God as God. You must seek his kingdom. That is the area upon which He reigns and has dominion. Do you not want Jesus to rule and reign in your heart through this coming week? How could you enjoy Christmas any better than to have the sovereign 
reigning in the heart of your soul in your life during the season where you celebrate and enjoy what God has done for us. Can we try that again? That's a little better. But one of the things that we try to enjoy during the Christmas holiday is family. How about spending some time with your older brother? Amen? How about taking the infirmities and the cares of this life and letting the great physician carry that load instead of you trying to figure everything out? Amen? How about rejoicing in the fact that not only is He the Savior, the sacrifice, He is the only one that has the authority to offer that sacrifice to God to take care of the price of my sins. I'll tell you what, that is an uttermost salvation that God gives. And we need to live in it. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would help us to understand all that you have done that you might save us. And Lord, we pray for those that be in this auditorium this morning and the question of their eternity has yet to be settled. That even today, in the next few moments, they would be willing just to let go and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. That they would surrender to His position as God and sovereign. That they would accept His sacrifice. That He would be their Savior and their priest. That He would become their brother. And Lord, He is the only one that can heal us from the terrible disease of sin. And so, Lord, it is, th- it is today that we look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who will save us to the uttermost, every part, every point, every corner of our life. We thank and praise you for being such a good and wonderful God. We ask that you would help us to live in that knowledge each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.